Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Domain of Dreamers, and it is part of the Impossible Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org or send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. People, that's what it's all about. We're in the people business, aren't we? Okay, um, hey, by the way, I really would appreciate it uh, if you would go on social media this morning and let people know, hey, I'm at Bethany, and and tell them I'm going to be here next week. You should come with me. You'll do that, would you? I really would appreciate it, and, and maybe about middle of the week, you could go on the, uh, the Facebook page, Bethany Community Church Facebook page, and share the Christmas service, uh, uh, share the graphic, and uh, what, a, what an easy way for you to become an evangelist, what an easy way for you to share your faith, just to let people know this is where I'm going, and if they like you, they may want to go where you're going. If they don't like you, they probably will want to go to another church, but at least they will avoid this one. If they, if they don't like you, they will avoid this church, and they'll go to another one. That, you're doing them a service. <laughs> Last week, we talked about, we're in a series called Impossible. It's our Christmas series. And we talked about impossibility as an opportunity for beauty. When God decided to save the world, he didn't send the press corps to spread dirt about the opposition. He didn't do what politicians do today. He didn't fight... Um, ugliness with ugliness. He fought the grotesque with the magnificent. He responded to the ugliness with beauty. He sent his angels with a beautiful message, and he sent his angels to beautiful people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, the Magi, Mary and Joseph, and the shepherds who worshiped Christ's beauty. The point being, if you want to break through the impossible, go through life seeing beauty, Acknowledging beauty, bowing to beauty, practicing beauty. Always try to defeat the grotesque with the magnificent. God does that all the time. You know, He sent a beautiful woman named Mother Teresa to the awfulness and ugliness of Calcutta. He sent a beautiful, marvelous Savior to a dying world. So beauty, Dostoevsky said, beauty will save the world. So today we want to talk about something else. We want to take it another step. We want to talk about the power of dreamers to defeat dread. That God uses dreamers to break through the impossible. And God's dreams are more powerful than Satan's lies. Amen? Matthew 1.20 says, But the Lord, but, but after he had considered this, this is Joseph, he's heard the message, that Mary's pregnant and was contemplating putting her away. And in those days, really, the marriage, you really, uh, betrothal was a legal contract in those days. So it was as though you were married, even though the marriage had never been consummated and you weren't living together. So they had already been betrothed. He was already in a, a, a civic and legal arrangement with Mary. So he would have to divorce her. He would have to subject her to public shame. He would have to go to the local priest, and he would have to get a pronouncement of divorce 
exposing her to the shame of the system for being pregnant before marriage. And, and I don't know if you, 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 you think about it, but the uh, immaculate conception thing just doesn't fly. <laughs> People just don't believe that, right? <laughs> but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Amen? That's good. And then I want to go to a companion verse in Psalms 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. This is uh, King David. O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Notice, I'm reading this to you because I want you to see what God's dreamers dreamed in the first century and before the first century. I want you to see what Jewish people thought about. Listen what he says. Now, if you and I, when we, you and I think about sins and forgiveness of sins, we're, we're very personal and individual. I'm thinking about saving my hide from hell. That's what I'm thinking about when I think of sin. I'm thinking about saving me. But a Jewish person wasn't thinking in terms of personal salvation. Although we believe in personal salvation, that wasn't what they were thinking about. Notice. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And that's interesting. That's the same thing that Joseph heard. Okay, here's the fulfillment. Joseph probably knew about this psalm. He probably knew about it, and he says, here's the fulfillment of that. You know, um, I drive down Route 1 quite often. And uh, Rentham Foxborough area. And I don't know, for years, this building has caught my attention. It was a, uh, you know, that's a prime location right along there where Luciano's uh, Italian restaurant is. And that, that's a very prime location and a very good location. But there's this, I think it's still abandoned. There's this build, the b- building there on the right hand side going toward the stadium. And I don't know what it was. Uh, it was some type of business, but it's so dilapidated, you can't even recognize what kind of business this was. And it's sat there like that for years. For years, it's just sat there. And every time, I, I don't know why, it grabs me. Every time I go by, I think, that was somebody's dream one time. Somebody, somebody saw that property, and they purchased that property, and they built a building on that property, uh, believing it was going to bring them uh, prosperity. And maybe it did for a while. I don't know. I don't know the story. But somebody at some point, maybe somebody bought it, the second, third, fourth, you know how properties exchange hands, but somebody's dream died there on that spot. And I see that a lot of places. That always comes to my mind that something didn't work out the way somebody thought it would. And such is life, isn't it? This life is like that. Probably some of you here today have some shattered dreams. 
You have some things that you believed would happen. But they happened for a while, but they didn't continue. Now, the Christmas story is about that, too. The Christmas story is about a shattered dream. Israel was called the land of promise. It was called the land of promise. No place on earth had more divine attention than Israel. No place had more promises set over it. No place had more visions set over it than Israel. No people on earth had more guarantee of success than Abraham's descendants. Most were, you know, but most people, here's what had happened in Israel. Most people had become dealers and not dreamers. I said most people in Israel had become dealers and not dreamers. They had entered into a deal with the Roman Empire. Roman Empire seemed much too powerful for them. It was too powerful for them. So they entered into a deal with Rome. The leaders of the Jewish community made a deal with Rome. It went something like this. We'll keep the people, the Jewish people under control if you will let us have, if you will let us benefit. We leaders, if you will let us benefit materially and politically and with power and clout, we will make a deal with you. We will stop dreaming and we'll make a deal. With, so they made a deal with Rome that they would stop dreaming of eternal salvation, stop dreaming of Israel being the great nation that God had promised them would be, that they would be. God's deal was never, God's dream was never that Israel would be oppressed, that Israel would be under the heel of the Roman government. God's deal was never that Israel become oppressed even under its own law, which they had become because these, these dealers, instead of dreamers, had used the law to subjugate the people and to bring them under oppression. And they, they, they were really keeping them down for Rome's sake, to keep Rome at bay. And so that's really, really why Jesus ended up getting crucified, because he was coming to the attention of both Rome and Jewish authorities. God went into this ugly situation looking for dreamers. Status didn't matter. He found a teenage girl. <laughs> he, found a, he found a couple of senior citizens, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he found a band of shepherds, and he found a group of Zoro, Zoroastrian priests. That's what they actually were. They weren't kings. They weren't the kings of Orient. They were Zoroastrian priests, and that's a really interesting insight, but I don't have time to go into it right now. But they were known as the Magi from Persia. They had, a, they had a dream of something bigger. Now, that's a long story, but you see, let me quickly just tell you that the, the message of the hope of Israel had gone to Persia, to Babylon. Remember, that's where the Jews were in captivity. The Jews were in captivity where the Magi came from. And so the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and we, the, the scribes and Pharisees, I've just given them a really bad name today because they deserved it by the time Jesus came along. But before that, they were the keepers of the law. They were very important to the, to the maintenance of righteousness in Israel. So when they're in Babylon, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, remember Ezra was a scribe. Look at the book of Ezra. Ezra was a scribe. They begin to write down the laws of God. They want to make sure the laws of God were preserved and, 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 and the promises of God. They wrote them down and they recorded them. So, I, so the, the, the story of the gospel was alive in Persia. And, and so, so when, when the, the Zoroastrian priest 
came looking, they came looking not for a political connection with Herod. They didn't come looking for, for political advancement. They didn't come to be dealers. They came to be dreamers. They come looking for the hope of Israel. That's why when they looked in the baby's eyes, that's why they looked in the baby's, baby's face, they said, this is the hope of Israel. Dreams are better than deals any day of the week. I remember, uh, you know, I have a very short memory, but this, this only happened a couple of years ago, so I still remember it. I'm, I'm getting to that age where I'm remembering things that happened 40 years ago. I'm really getting to remember that. You know, <laughs> and uh, uh, but but I, it was like two years ago. Sherry calls me one day. And we we had brought in a, a architect, really nice, really high, high and mighty architectural firm. We knew, we're pretty sure we weren't going to hire them, but we wanted to pick their brain for free ideas. <laughs> so we did, and they were they were wonderful. They were marvelous. They really were, and. Um, uh, they, we felt like we needed new offices and we needed a, we needed a new youth center and all of that. And then they, they, they sent me an email one day said the cost of this we estimate would be uh, uh, $200 to $225 a square foot. I mean, the room you're sitting in now, we, we spent about $50 a square foot. So that gives you, shows you where, where things have gone. Of course, they're very, you know, they think in, in, in huge numbers. And so Sherry calls me one day and she says... Uh, I think you might want to look at this building downtown. And went and looked at this, the building that we own downtown now. And I walked in the door of the building, and the pastor was sitting there, the, the church, and he, I asked him, what's the price? And I think it was uh, $295,000, and I didn't even have to pray about it. Uh, later, I got my phone out, and I calculated that's $19.52 a square foot. And we could put our youth ministry there and our offices there. And um, I'm not criticizing that pastor. I don't, mean that, I don't mean it that way. And if this comes out that way, I'm sorry. But he had lost his ability to dream. But that, it, it, you know, I could see this is a good building. This building has good bones. This building's in a great location. This building has great value. He's undervalued. That's why I didn't have to pray very long. Because, uh, and I'm not even... I'm good at real estate like my wife and Mike Seaver are. I said, this building is undervalued. Later, I learned the Milford National Bank building a block away, uh, uh, half its size had sold for $650,000. And uh, we, we've done quite a bit of work there, but we just had it appraised. This is before the roof went on, before the new roof, it appraised for $765,000. I'm not, I, I'm not magical at all. I'm not that smart. I mean, I'm not, my wife is smart. My kids are smart, but not me. I'm not that smart. But I was able to see that building. It, it was a mess. So it was a mess. But I was able to see beyond the mess, and I was able to have a dream. I was able to see what it could be. That's what dreaming is. When you see not thing, as things as they are, but what they will be when God gets through with it, right? You heard about that guy, he had that beautiful farm, and a, a guy drove by one day and said to him, said, man, God sure gave you a beautiful farm. He said, well, you should have seen it when he gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> there are three kinds of people. 
that God can't work through to do the impossible. One, those who can't see problems. You know anybody like that? They can never see a problem. A train can be coming. I mean, the, 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 they're, they're standing in the tunnel and the light's hitting them in the eyes and the tracks are rumbling and, and, and they say, everything is beautiful. And <laughs> they don't see problems. Then you have people who only see problems. They're just Debbie Downers, Eeyores. That's all they can see. Some of you were like that when you came into that building downtown. I saw it in your eyes. All you could see was the problems. I didn't want to talk to you. Because all you could see, I could see you weren't excited. What have they done? We voted. Why did we vote on this? Now you come in, you like it. Because the dreamers around me went to work. And then, so there's those who only see problems, and then there are those who can't see possibilities beyond the problems. Dreamers will see that God can either solve the problems, or that God will uniquely use the problem to do what he could not do otherwise. But dreamers cannot stay discouraged. So, here's what I want to give you in the next few minutes. Divine dreamers grasp three things from God. They hear three things from God. They grasp three things from God. Number one, divine dreamers and accept an assignment of personal responsibility. I said divine dreamers accept an assignment of personal responsibility. Number two, divine dreamers adopt God's goal of human flourishing beyond themselves. This is true of everybody in the Christmas story who's a a star in the Christmas story and not a villain. Number three, divine dreamers find joy that the kingdom is both now and not yet. Divine dreamers, let's, let's start with number one. They accept an assignment of personal responsibility. Now, God goes to all these people in the Christmas story that you know about, and you've watched the Christmas pageants your whole life. Every one of them, he did not say, I'm just going to make something happen for you. Every one of them were given a burden of a responsibility. Every one of them were given an assignment. The price of the impossible with God Write this down. By the way, I, I understand we, our, our, app, our, our app is not working this morning because they did an upgrade, and for some reason, we're not able to get into the app this morning. So if you're trying to follow along in your notes, you can. I'm sorry. Uh, but um, what? Oh, it's back. Oh, okay. Never mind. We, we broke through to the impossible. The price of the impossible... I believe this is in the notes in your app, though, is to accept the burden of an assignment. We accept this burden as though it depends. You, here's, here's how it works. You, just, you accept the burden as though it totally depends on your efforts, while you clearly know it doesn't. Now, that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? You accept, you accept the assignment Joseph had to accept the assignment as though it depended on him being obedient for God to save the world. But the accomplishment of the assignment depended on the divine power of God. 
Because it was the divine power of God that brought about the virgin birth. It was the divine power of God that would bring about a sinless Savior. It was the divine power of God that would take that sinless Savior through a sinless life and nail him to a cross and cause his sins to be born for all of us and cause him to rise again where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. Notice all the impossibility that had to happen, but yet Joseph and Mary had to accept an assignment as though it all depended on them. You know, some, are totally, some of you are totally shocked that the promises of God come with personal directions. Consider Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to preach about tithing this morning. See to it that I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. The assignment for me is bring my tithe into the storehouse. God says, I will pour out a blessing for you that you won't have room to receive. You experiencing the supernatural is depending on you accepting a natural assignment. If I do the difficult, God will do the impossible. If I will do the difficult, turn to your neighbor and say, if you will do the difficult, God will do the impossible. Jesus gets to the tomb of Lazarus and he says, he says to Mary, Martha, take you away the stone. They took care of the stone. Jesus took care of the corpse. That's how it works. Joseph had to take Mary to be his wife, which many had to face the frowns of the moralist and the small-town gossip who had their own proof that Joseph had been immoral with Mary. They, they could prove it because they had a calendar. <laughs> you just imagine the old-town biddies with their calendar out. They, they, got married and, they got married seven months ago and they're having a baby. <laughs> Joseph had to travel with a pregnant wife to Bethlehem. Joseph had to take that young family and flee to Egypt. Don't think a life of a dreamer is an easy life. Don't think being a, in, in the domain of dreaming is easy. The life of a dreamer isn't easy. Zechariah and Elizabeth had to publicly acknowledge some divine interaction that I'm sure people scoffed at. Uh, the Magi had to give up an opportunity. I don't, we don't, I've never heard this really talked about, but they, they had to give up an opportunity for fame and reward by avoiding Herod and going back home another way. Mary had to agree to bear the mystery of the virgin birth and the suffering associated with being the mother of the Christ child. It wasn't easy being the mother of the Christ child. There's a price to pay for living in the impossible. The price of the impossible with God is also to identify with human sinfulness. God said to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. And, and so Joseph was one of the people. <laughs> he was one of the people. He was a people in that sentence. He will save his people from their sins. The, the idea that Christ had to save his, came to save his people from his sins had to be accepted by this divine dreamer of, like Joseph in the story. Uh, the Lord didn't meet any resistance. He didn't say, oh, what do you mean calling us sinners? Uh, he, didn't, he didn't say, no, Lord, wait a minute. Israel, Israel's in this condition today because of the haters. There's so many haters in the world. That's why Israel's in this condition. You, you got it all wrong, Lord. What do you mean calling us sinners? You came to save us from our sin. You See, see some of you think that if you go out in the world and, and, and you, you, you tell people that God loves them and wants to forgive them of their sins, they're going to say thank you. <laughs> but no, they go, uh, God, my, my what? 
I, I, make, I make mistakes. But Jesus didn't come to save mistakers. He came to save sinners. <laughs> he could have had all kinds of, they could have objected with, no, Lord, you, you should be talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Yeah, we got this little group down at the temple that they are bad. Would you go talk to them? But not us. Or they could have used the Adam and Eve defense, which the Lord, the woman you gave me. That was Adam's defense. And the woman goes, the serpent you led in the garden. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was sentenced to eight years in the Soviet gulags for simply questioning a Soviet military strategy in a letter to a friend when he was a Russian officer. He determined when he got into the prison, Soviet prison, he made a decision because he began to see fellow prisoners who were rising above the persecution. And he just determined, I'm going to find out what I have done to cause Russia to be in the situation that it's in. And he recalled when he was an officer in the Russian army, how he would set and he would eat the good food while his men ate the bad food. He recalled, and he spent eight years thinking about his own sin and his own fault. And he wrote the massive book called The Gulag Archipelago, which is just being re-released. And it probably brought down the Soviet Union. But here's something Solzhenitsyn said. He said about his observation of the evil that he saw. And he saw tremendous evil in those gulags. He said, if only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds. And it were necessary only to separate from the, from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? So when Joseph heard the sentence, he will save his people from their sins, he was accepting both an identity with God's people and the sins of God's people. I believe my heart, all my heart this morning, if you will accept your own sinfulness, it's the path to your own, to his righteousness becoming yours. Amen? I believe there's absolutely nothing God can accomplish through a man or woman who will stop blaming others for the problems that exist around them. Let me say that again. There's absolutely nothing God can't accomplish through a man or woman who will stop blaming others for the problems that exist around them. Number two, divine dreamers adopt the goal of human flourishing beyond themselves. If there's one thing that differentiates the divine dreamers from the rest in the Christmas story, it's that the divine dreamers weren't primarily driven by self-interest. What you are forced to come away with when you consider all the leaders and the citizenry too that God excluded from having a leading role in the greatest story ever told is that they couldn't accept a resolution that they would not be the primary beneficiary of. I believe an obsession with self-interest keeps that disease that afflicts humanity and keeps us from forever, I believe it's what keeps us from forever solving our problems. If, if you want to move out of the realm of the mere possible, find a reason to live for the benefit of others. I know it's a simple thing, and we talk about it a lot, 
but I'm telling you it's true. I would venture to say that there wasn't a religious or political leader in Israel or in the Roman Empire who would risk giving up their position of power so that the nation as a whole could benefit. I dare say there wasn't one. I dare say that that same citizenry who would later shout, crucify him, were no different. Divine dreamers are a rare breed. I said divine dreamers are a rare breed. They don't ask merely, how can I be blessed? But they go, Lord, how can I be blessed and how can my family be blessed? And Lord, how can I be blessed and my family be blessed and my church be blessed? And how can my, I be blessed and my family be blessed and my church be blessed and my community be blessed? And Lord, how can I be blessed and my family be blessed and my church be blessed and my community be blessed and my, my region be blessed? And God, how can I be blessed and my family be blessed and my church be blessed and, and my community be blessed and my region be blessed and my nation be blessed? And God, how can I be blessed and my family be blessed and my church be blessed and my community be blessed and my region be blessed and my nation be blessed and how can the world be blessed? That's how dreamers think. Amen? Give the Lord a hand. And this was God's plan all along. You go back to Genesis chapter 22, verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Yes, God do, does bless you personally. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities that are enemies and, throughout, and through your, your offspring, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. If you got some blessing plan that stops with you, it's not a blessing plan. It's a curse plan. I said, if you got some blessing plan that you heard that, 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 that blesses only you. you know, I remember one time a lady called me up. This is a long time ago. This is like 1991, 92. We were out in Upton. This lady calls me up and she said, uh, I was watching Brother Tilton, Pastor Tilton on the TV the other day, Robert Tilton. And he said, if we would make a $1,000 vow to his ministry, that God would do all these miraculous things for us. She said, so I did. I made a vow. I made a $1,000 vow to Robert Tilton. And she, her question to me was, should I pay it? I feel, I feel bad about it now. I thought, I sh should I pay it? I, I, I didn't know what to say for a minute. I didn't, well, you made a vow. The Bible says some pretty serious things about making a vow. I said, well, I think you made a vow. You ought to do it. I just don't want to mess around with vows. I don't, I don't like that approach that Tilton takes, but you should. Well, I didn't think any more about it. Uh, they moved away, got divorced. That life didn't go well. For, didn't go, the $1,000 vow, either she didn't pay it, which I suspect she never paid it, <laughs> or it didn't work. I don't know which. But one day, up here at the office, we, we built a building out here, and we're, I'm cleaning out a bunch of old files, and I come across all these giving records, and I see, and there's her giving record for that year, the same year she had called me, 
And her entire giving to the church was, that year was $50. I thought, isn't that like human nature? Somebody promises us prosperity and we'll give them $1,000. But to bless the, the church and just see it grow and see it re, reach its mission, that's just not so attractive. <laughs> I'm not better, though. I'm not better. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, divine dreamers find joy that the kingdom is both now and not yet. This is where a lot of you need some clarity today, I believe. I certainly did a few years ago. That the kingdom of God is now, but not yet. 1 Corinthians 13, 2, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. So God obviously was telling there's two different phases to his plan. One involves what he will do now, like the story I told at the beginning of the message today or before the message. And all the, if we were to begin to stand, have people stand in this room right now and talk about the blessings of God, we'd have so many stories. You would leave so encouraged when you heard everything that God has done in people's lives. It's truly remarkable. I see it every day and every week. But if I wanted to depress you, I would say let's all stand up and talk about our pain and our suffering and what hasn't gone right, you, you, would, be, you would be on the floor depressed because there's enough pain in this room, real pain, to make you depressed. Well, which is true? It's both true. The kingdom of God is now, but not yet. Luke 18, 29 says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Jesus said to them, no one has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age. That's the kingdom now. And in the age to come, eternal life. Divine dreamers understand the kingdom of God is about God's rule before it's about God's realm. It's about God's rule before it's God's room. This is really well illustrated in the short reference to Simeon and the old, the old man in the temple, remember, who recognized the eight-day-old Jesus as the Messiah in Luke chapter 2. Listen what he said when he looked down at that little face. He said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all the people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. Again, he's... he's He's connected with Abraham's promise. He's a light to reveal God to the nations. He is a glory to all your people, of all your people, Israel. Now, back to what he said in the beginning. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. That is a very interesting response. I would have thought that he might have said, let's, let's start planning the overthrow of the Roman government. Let's, let's get rid of those horrible nasty Pharisees that are making everybody's life miserable. No, he said, he said, I'm ready to die in peace. Because he understood the kingdom of God was now but not yet. What good would it do to what good what, what good would it do to get rid of the Pharisees? There were just insects and vermin ready to take their place. Be the next Pharisees. What, what no use getting rid of the Roman government because there's another despot. There's another terrible government, ready to, worse than the Romans. 
You know, you think the Romans were bad. It was the fifth century or something like that that the Goths showed up in Rome. <laughs> and they were worse than Romans. They destroyed culture. <laughs> no, we have a now but not yet gospel. Now we are blessed. Oh, but the Bible says it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Oh, for when we will see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Next Sunday, I want to talk about the coming of Jesus. I want to talk about the, the, the not yet part next week. Let your die, servant die in peace is an astounding exclamation. Simon found completion and perfect inner peace in merely knowing who Jesus was. That's good, man. That means you could leave this service with deep inner peace. No matter what's going on in your life, because you know who Jesus is. Amen? The Magi went back to Persia to die in peace. Joseph faded into earthly obscurity, but he died in peace. Mary stood at the foot of her own son's cross, but still showed up for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, and she died in peace. Zechariah and Elizabeth probably lived to see their own son executed by the tyrant. Herod, but they too died in peace because the kingdom of God, and, and they, see, they all embraced the kingdom now. It was, they saw things that, I'm telling you, you're going to, if God doesn't come back, you're going to die anyway, but you will see wonderful and amazing things in the kingdom that is now. You will see incredible answers to prayer. You will see incredible blessings. You will see incredible change of life in the kingdom that is now. And you will be able to die in peace because you know that the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Eldon Ladd said, The righteousness of God's kingdom is the product of God's reign in the human heart. Remember I said it's God's reign, it's God's rule, not God's realm. We're looking forward to today when the Bible says it this way in the book of Revelation. When, when everything is consummated. It said the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our Lord in his Christ. Well, that hasn't happened yet. But the, the, the rule of God is happening already. God is already having his way in the earth. God is already having his way in the earth. God is already moving nations and people around like chess pieces on a chessboard. God is already... Things are divinely aligned for God's final move to bring peace to the earth. That's the message of the gospel. Let me finish. The righteousness of God's kingdom is at the heart of God's reign in the human heart. God must reign in our lives now if we're to enter the kingdom tomorrow. The old song says, build your hope on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. So, the Christmas story is still being written. The angels are still walking our streets, looking for people who aren't con content to lead meaningless and ordinary lives, people like you. This is not about chasing fantasies. A dream is not a fantasy. Proverbs 28, 19 says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. Oh, you may not end up in financial poverty without physical food, but that's not the only kind of poverty. If you chase fantasies, the worst kind of poverty may be to end one's life with no one that you have snatched from sin and its consequences. That may be the worst poverty of all. Last week, a 42-year-old Boston woman 
She told police that she took sleep and pain medication Saturday night, drank a beer and vaped a cannabis type oil the next day before allegedly crashing her SUV into five pedestrians in Rivera, killing a five-year-old girl and a two-month-old sister. You know, I read that story and I thought, you know what came to mind? It wasn't rage at that woman that did that. I, though I understand that. I understand that rage. What came to my mind is I want to stop those women like that from doing that. I want to be the church and I want to be the person that stands in their way and, and saves them <laughs> from a life of drug use that may kill a five-year-old and a two-year-old. I want to save them from that. I want to live that kind of life. To live a life that will keep people that are so bound by substances that they, they won't do that is a rich life. And it's one worth living. That's the life I get to live in some small way every day. And, and, and I'm inviting you. It's, it's the life of bringing the one who saves people from their sins into their lives. That's it. Yes, there's a psychological benefit of this message that lifts people from shame for the sins they've already committed. And that's no small thing, but that, and that's worth something. And it's also a life that teaches people the value of saying no to the destructive and dark forces that try to dominate them. I would rather have that than all the gold in Fort Knox. And I want you to think about it. And I want you to think about next Sunday. I want you to think about this next Sunday. And I want you to think about that as you go to Dunkin' Donuts this week and you see that young lady or young man that waits on you all the time and I want you to invite them to church next week. Or you go to Starbucks and I want you to invite the barista there to church and I want you to call your friends up and say, you got to go to church with me next week. And I want you to go sign up for serve one, bring one. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure that my family hears the gospel. I'm going to make sure they hear the hope that's meant so much to me. And I'm going to get my kids here. And I'm going to get my grandkids here. You know, use the Christmas guilt, man. Just use it. It's okay. Amen? We have the message of life. And, you know, I, I have so much respect for anybody that's trying to do good in the world. And I, I respect for... Uh, people who are teaching others to dream. And even, even if you don't use the Bible, because it's all from God. But listen, we've got all that here. We can teach you to dream because it's all biblical. We can teach you, we can teach you to be, have a, be a person of faith instead of doubt and despair and fear. But most importantly, we can connect you with eternal life. We can connect you with a plan that you can die in peace. That's the plan you got to have, the one that you can die in peace. And you can live in your greatest, highest human potential. Remember what he said, I think it was week before last. The plan of God involves the maximum in human potential and the maximum in understanding divine omnipotence. Divine omnipotence great human potential. God doesn't say, well, you have to be a nobody and nothing if you're going to be with me. No, God says, I'm going to make you the best you could possibly be, and I'm going to be God. And a great human and a great God can do anything. Let me say that again. Let me say it again, then clap praise to God. Not to praise to that I said it, but praise to God. A great human 
and God can do anything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.